Today I want to bring a message to those of you who may be settling. I want to bring a message about settling for less than what God has in mind. Settling in your thinking about God. Settling in your trust of God. Settling for less in your faith in God. Maybe there was a time when you believed and trusted God to bless your life more than what you're trusting and believing for right now. You bought that little book called The Prayer of Jabez because you wanted to live a life of stronger faith and you began to pray like Jabez prayed. Oh Lord, that you would bless me indeed. Lord, increase my territory. Lord, increase my circle of influence. Let me do some great things for you. Maybe you prayed that prayer. Lord, do the impossible things in and through my life. Things that I can't imagine. Things that only you can do. Show yourself real and mighty in my life. Maybe you prayed that prayer. You bought the book. You still have it on the shelf. But somewhere along the way, you settled. And now your, your prayer's a little different or your thinking's a little different. You're just kind of like, Lord... Just let me win a door prize or something. <laughs> just, just show something to me that encourage me. A 20-year-old single lady who's believing God for a godly husband. She's praying for one who's six feet tall. He's fit and trim and he loves the Lord, loves to serve the Lord. He's fun. He wants to be a provider, a hardworking man for his family. And man, he, Lord, uh, one that's a great kisser. That's her prayer. Five years later, the same girl's praying, Lord, just send me a man. Any man, as long as he's breathing and he has a good job. And, well, Lord, I take back that last part. I don't care if he even wants to work or not. He can sit around on the couch all day. Just give me one that's breathing, for crying out loud. Maybe as a man, you wanted to start a little business on the side, something to bring in more income so your family wouldn't have to struggle as they're having to struggle, more kids came along. Now you're like, Lord, just help me to pay the rent. Help me to pay the bills. Help me to make the car payment. Just help us stretch our money far enough so the electric bill, uh, so the electricity doesn't get turned off. And your prayers have changed just a little bit. And over this past year of serving as your interim pastor, I've been listening. I've been hearing some of the things that you've been mentioning Many of you, some of you have been saying things like, you know, Brother Christian, there was a time when this sanctuary was full. The choir seats were filled. Sunday school classes were overflowing with children, with adults. And I, I wish, uh, but, but the, some, something happened and some people left. They went and started another church. I wish it was the way it used to be. I wish we were overflowing with people. And now we've created more space and, and we're, we're not overflowing. We have such potential here to overflow. I wish, I wish, I wish. If only, if only, if only. And let me, uh, if you don't mind, let me just say the other church is praying the same prayer now. See? <laughs> Lord, there was a time we were overflowing. I wish, I wish. We wish, we wish, we wish. There are churches everywhere praying that kind of prayer my question is this, have you settled? Have you settled? We don't mean to be this way, but comparatively speaking, as God's people, we tend to spend less time in prayer than we once did. We tend to be less committed than the generation that preceded us. We tend to expect the same results, however. We've settled. We pray less, we trust God less, we serve God less, and we 
have over time lowered our expectations of what we think God is able to do. If you've settled, then this message is for you. If your expectations have been lowered, this message is for you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21. Ephesians 3 verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, talking about him, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you don't get anything else from this message, this is what I want you to get right here. Here's the main point. Don't underestimate what God may produce from a single seed sown in faith. Don't underestimate what God may produce from a single seed sown or planted in faith. Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. The Bible talks to us about a historical account of a married couple named Abraham and Sarah. At first he's called Abram. And Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, they wanted a son, but Sarah could not bear children. She was barren. They couldn't have children. They couldn't conceive. And so if you're, you've ever gone through that in your life, whether permanently or for just a season of time, not being able to have children, you know what that's like. You know that uh, every couple that you bump into, guess what? They're pregnant, <laughs> right? Anybody know that? They're pregnant. Everybody you run into, they're having another child or they're having their first child or they're setting up a nursery. They're, everything's going just fine, but you can't. For whatever reason, you can't conceive. Probably every couple that Abraham and Sarah bumped into, they were expanding their family. Every woman in their Sunday school class was pregnant. So that's all everybody talked about, it seemed, just not Abraham and Sarah. But God had given them a promise. Read with me, if you would, from Genesis chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if God says, I will make you a great nation, if I will cause you to father a nation of people, that can only mean one thing. That means children. And that means grandchildren. And that means great-grandchildren. And that means a lot of children and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. Lots of them. But verse 4, he tells Abram, or the Bible tells us Abram was 75 years old. He's 75 Not at this time. He's 75 the moment he leaves. He's already 75. And he leaves Haran to follow God. Most people are ready to to give up on having children by that time. Amen? Most people, by the time 75 rolls around, they're through with all that. Early in life, you put your kids in a stroller and you push them around. At 75, you move back in with your kids and they put you in a stroller and you want them to push you around. That's the way this goes. Yeah? They're only getting older, so they can hardly believe what God's saying. But if God says they're going to have a son, it must be true. So they begin to get excited. You know, Sarah runs down to the the biggest uh, 
Lifeway Super Center that they have down there, and she goes to the book section. She finds a section for pregnancy, and she buys what to expect when you're expecting that big, thick book of a little bigger than this, and, and she reads it before nightfall. Now, all the way, all the way through, cover to cover, she covers what to expect when you're expecting. She's excited. She's trying to look forward to this promise being fulfilled. They already have their Facebook reveal ready to post. All they got to do is click share it and post it so everybody can know at the same time, we're pregnant! And everybody can hit their like button and their comment thing and they can go on and do the memes and all that stuff and, and put it all out there and hit the share button and share it with everybody. It's all over the world. We're expecting, they're ready for all that, but one month goes by, two months, three months, Still, Sarah's not pregnant. And in verse 7, God says to Abram, again, to your descendants, I will give this land. That word descendants can only mean one thing. Children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. To your descendants, I'll give this land. But a year goes by since that promise was made and the promise has not been fulfilled. Another year goes by, still no baby, no descendants. Three years pass by, still no baby. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. Several years has gone by and now you read the beginning of verse 1, these words, after these things. Now we're not sure exactly how long it is after these things that has taken place we don't know but you have the story of lot you have abraham's nephew lot and the decisions that he made concerning being a leader at sodom and gomorrah and you have the things that happened there and how he is taken captive and you have abraham going and having to rescue his nephew lot you have both of their families growing with descendants you have the story of the perverse cities of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. And according to most Bible scholars, a minimum of 10 years has passed by the time you come to verse 1 in chapter 15. After all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. There's that word exceedingly again, over and above, grossly out there, expanding more and more. There it is, a great reward. Verse 2 in the New Living Translation is what I'm going to read in. You follow along, this one's fine. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? I mean, you're talking a nation of people. I don't even have a, a child, much less a son for the family name to go through. Continue the family line, verse 3, you have given me no descendants of my own. Ten years, at least, of unfulfilled promise. Ten years, every month, disappointed. At least 120 months of still can't hit the Facebook share button. No news to tell. And maybe you have your own version of this story. You've been trying hard to get out of debt, but the deadline keeps getting pushed out. You've done Dave Ramsey. You've gone to uh, Financial Peace University. You've done the steps. You've done the envelopes. You're just not getting there. Everything keeps coming up. Nothing's going to happen. Life keeps happening instead and holds you back. You've been praying a long time for a family member to be saved, but it hasn't happened yet. Seems like the more you pray, the more ungodly that particular individual becomes. And you, your prayer is something like this. Lord, have you forgotten me? 
Have you forgotten the thing that you actually put into my heart to pray for? The desire that you put into my heart and it's not coming to pass. And I'm waiting. Did I hear all right, Lord? Did you speak to me what you intended? Did I hear you right? Did you say or did you not say? I don't know. Are you with me any longer? I can't tell. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? We just need to pause for a moment. We need to be reminded, don't underestimate what God may produce through a single seed planted in faith. Let's say it together. Read it from the screen. Don't underestimate what God may produce through a single seed planted in faith. There are two problems with our thinking. We tend to think addition... God thinks in multiplication. We think addition. Add to my life, Lord. Add a little of this, a little of that, Lord. That's what I need. That's what I'm praying about. God's thinking multiplication. Why don't you believe me for more than just that? That you can do. Believe me for things that you cannot already do in and of yourself. God thinks multiplication. We think in terms of the now. We think in microwave speed. Lord, I'm hitting the start and I want it to ding so I can open it up and it's there and it's ready for me. If it doesn't happen right away, it must not be true. We think in terms of the now. I've shared with you before a lady in the very first church that we served in while we were attending seminary was praying desperately for a Jewish lady that worked with her at Sam's to be saved. She had been praying for her for over a year. She had the church praying for her. And she said, I know and I'm believing by faith. One day we're going to meet here and she's going to come right through that door. I'm just believing and trusting. And I'm telling you, one day the lady walked through the door. She said, I've been saved three months. I just didn't want to tell her. She gets too excited about everything. Miss Dorothy was praying for her, believing, planting seeds of prayer. Lord, I'm praying for her, just one. But I'm going to tell you, God was moving and working not for one, but for several. We went to their home and began to do a follow-up visit with her. Her daughter got saved. A couple of weeks later, the teenage, the, the senior got saved. The boy, a month or so later, the ex-husband got saved. I still check them out on Facebook. Look, she was praying for one. God thinks in multiplication, not addition. We never know what God may do with a single seed planted in faith. We never know what he might do. Abram's desire, just one son, God was thinking an exceedingly great reward. God is thinking many sons, Abram, many. Abram's thinking about an extended family. God's thinking about a nation of people, descendants too numerous to count. Jesus told the story of a sower who went out to plant seeds. And the sower went out... And he planted these sowers, and one comes back, and he has a yield 30 times more than what he planted. Another 60. Another 100 times over. They didn't all produce the same amount of yield, but here's what I, the way I look at it. God's in charge of the yield, but even the smallest amount in the story that Jesus told was still 30 to 1. That's multiplication. Don't underestimate what God may produce from a single seed planted in faith. 
Just because you don't see things happening right now doesn't mean God is not working with what you're praying and with what you're trusting for. And I know you understand this principle. You understand in an agricultural rural community this principle. You understand that, uh, uh, or you wouldn't even plant a garden, right? You understand that uh, you don't plant your seed and then step back and say, well, I don't see it coming up. No, you plant your seed and you go away and you trust some things to happen. God begins to work even in the things that he's created by nature. That seed has to be dead first. That seed is dead. That seed's got to go in the ground. That seed receives water. It receives nourishment from the ground, from the dirt, from the minerals. And it begins to bear some roots first. And it begins to go down where it can receive that nourishment. It begins to sprout a little. You don't see it on the surface. It's happening underneath. God's at work. Even in a seed that that brings forth a crop, God is at work. That's part of his law of the harvest. He's working beneath the surface and it's beginning to grow. And then one day you walk by there and you see a little stem has poked itself up through the dirt, through the crust. And you look at that and there's a tiny little leaf on that. Tomorrow you come out, it's not the same size. It's twice that size. The next day it's bigger and it's bigger. You don't see what God's doing. Don't underestimate what God's doing through a seed that's been planted in faith. Before there's ever any fruit, there's a season of growing roots. God, I don't see you working. I don't see anything happening. God, I'm not married yet. I'm not married yet. I don't see any prospects. Lord, I'm buried in debt. I don't see any way of us getting out. Lord, the report came back and things don't look very good for my life, my health. God, you haven't done what you said. Think about this. If God committed himself to answering our, or to meeting our expectations according to how we pray sometimes, he would never get to going exceedingly abundantly above what we can think and ask. Because God doesn't think like we think. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. God doesn't think like us. We think too little. God is much greater than our thinking. Abram's now inside his tent. He's telling God what he can't see. I don't see a son, God. He's in the tent. Then in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, where you are, the Lord takes Abram outside. He takes him outside. He says, I want you to look up into the sky. Look at the stars in the sky. And that's the calling of every Sunday school teacher. That's the calling of every deacon of the church. That's the calling of every leader. That's the calling of every teacher, every pastor, is to take people out of their box, take people aside and say, Look up! Look up! What do you see? Quit looking around here about your life. Look up to what God wants to do in your life. Amen? That's the calling. He brought him outside in verse 5. He said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And verse 6, what a powerful statement. And Abram believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord. Now what does that mean? That means something happened. Something in his heart changed. Something in his mind and in his thinking began to change at that moment. He believed in the Lord. It means he came to the place in his heart where the seed finally went down into the ground. 
He trusted God to fulfill what he had promised long before. Abraham was thinking addition. God's thinking multiplication. Abraham's thinking a son. God's thinking a nation. Many sons. Abraham looked up in the sky. He saw numerous stars. God was pointing up to the stars and he is thinking you. You and you and me. See the stars, Abraham? Too numerous to count. God was thinking about you and I. Look at Galatians 3.29 on the screen. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. That's you. That's me. Are you in Christ? That's you. You're the stars he was pointing to when he pointed to Abraham. You're a star. You're an heir. If you're in Christ, you're his seed. Just because you don't see God working doesn't mean he's not working. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus was explaining to his disciples, uh, really speaking about his own death on the cross. And here's, here's kind of what he said. He said, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In order for Jesus to save others, he had to first die. So he's talking to them, in a sense, about his impending death. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And if I don't die, there's not going to be any fruit from my life. But if I die, there's going to be more grain than what we have now. So he's talking about his death. And you know what? In order for our lives to bear the fruit of eternal life, we also must die to ourselves. Because so long as a seed is preserved, and so long as we take our life and we just hold our own life in our own hands and do with it what we want, instead of planting it into the ground and giving it over to the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be no fruit from our life. None. As long as a fruit is preserved, it remains ineffective and unfruitful. And so maybe you've been playing it safe. I don't want too much of God. I don't want to commit too much to the Lord. I might be disappointed. I might have to give up some things and I can't see that He's going to come through with something better than what I'm able to do on my own. You've been playing it safe. You're withholding yourself from God. Imagine what God can do with a person who yields his life and her life completely over to Him. What can God do? Imagine what God will do if you die to yourself. Imagine what God will do with a life when the person dies to their own priority in life and says, Lord, you're my priority now. Lord, you're my expectation now. You're a seed. I'm a seed. We're the seeds of Abraham. If we are preserved, we'll not bear fruit. We must be planted in the ground through faith, in faith for the promise to take effect. So what about you? Have you settled? Have you settled? Are you just coasting along? This is it. I'm just, I'm glad to be here. I love meeting with the people. I love singing the songs. This is it for me. This is what I like. I don't want too much. <laughs> Have you settled? Are you on fire like you were when you got saved? What are your expectations like? Or are you playing it safe? We can't tithe. There's no way we could ever start tithing 
trust God with the tithe? Well, we've got bills too high. Let me remind you, your life is a seed. Don't underestimate what God may do with a single seed sown or planted in faith. Don't settle. Don't settle with your life. Don't withhold yourself. Plant the seed. This invitation time is for people who say, I've settled. I quit trusting along the way. This invitation time is really for those who are saying, I've never given my life as the seed that God intended to be planted in the ground. I'm withholding myself from following Jesus. I need Jesus to do a work in my life. I need to be saved. That's what this invitation time is about. Those who need to be saved. Those who have also settled. You're saved, but you've, you've settled. Your trusting of God's not what it's supposed to be. This invitation time is for you. And I'm going to do something that's very uncharacteristic of me because I believe God would have me to do it. Sometimes we never get to making the commitment because we're comfortable seated where we are. If you've settled and this message is for you, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. I'm going to ask you during this invitation time as musicians come, as Tim comes, and uh, Teresa plays softly or whoever's playing, I'm going to ask you just to come and stand. That's what I'm asking you to do. If you're giving your life to Christ, come stand. If you say, I have settled in my heart with the things that, I, that God can do, my expectation is so below that. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what I could ever ask or think, and I'm ready to get back to living that kind of life of faith. Then this is, this is your invitation. I'm asking you to come stand. So we're going to all stand. Would you stand with me? Those who want to come, just make that. I'm not going to embarrass you in any kind of way. It's about taking a step of faith and saying, I've settled, and I don't want to settle anymore. So I'm going to invite you to come and just stand right here and face me. This is your invitation now. It's time to come. If God's leading you to make that commitment, you come right now. I'm tired of settling. I don't want to settle. Who will come? Who will come right now?